Welcome to Sermon Audio from King Street Church, where it's our purpose to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. For more information about our church, please visit our website at kingstreetchurch.com. Good morning. Text for our sermon this morning will be Psalm 67. I will read it. God, be gracious to us and bless us and cause his face to shine upon us. Selah. That your way may be known on the earth, your salvation among all nations. Let the people, peoples, praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you will judge the peoples with uprightness. And guide the nations on the earth. Selah. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its produce. God, our God, blesses us. God blesses us. That all the ends of the earth may fear him. Amen. I know that during the situation that we have going on and in our world today, it can be very easy to grow discouraged. And my prayer this morning is that you would be encouraged with God's word in Psalm 67, that we would all be reminded that even when things feel like a standstill on our end of things, that God has a purpose in this world and he is and will accomplish it. And he will do it to the ends of the earth and all the nations among all the peoples. And so my prayer this morning is that we would all leave with a passion. Passion for what? For being a blessing to the nations for the praise of our God and the joy of all people. A passion for being a blessing to the nations for the praise of our God and the joy of all peoples. And so over the next half hour, my hope is that God would meet you in this text in Psalm 67 and that your heart would be captivated by a desire for God to be worshipped in the hearts of all kinds of people so that you would grab hold of a vision for evangelism and world missions. That God would move all of you to spend the remainder of your lives doing what really counts in eternity. And whatever hindrances keep you from forsaking everything for the sake of the gospel. My prayer going into this morning is that those hindrances would absolutely melt in the sheer radiance of God's greatness. That's my prayer for you, that you'd have a passion to be a blessing to the nations for the praise of our God and the joy of all peoples. That's what we see in Psalm 67. And in Psalm 67, what we're going to do is we're going to come face to face with God's mission in the world. We're going to see three things about his 
mission in this text. The scope, or the extent, the width, the breadth of it, the scope of God's mission in the world, the motivation, and the means. The scope, the motivation, and the means. Where we sit right now is in the sanctuary of Conoke Baptist Church at 400 McLean Avenue. It is 400, right? 400 McLean Avenue in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. That's where we sit. Whether or not you've recognized this to be true, I consider this location to be one of the most fascinating and hopeful places in our city. And so I pray that you would have an extreme passion and a hope in light of what we see in the text this morning because of what's going on in our world and around us and what God is doing in the world. And I want to help show you why I think that. But I'm going to withhold my comments on that particular thing until the end. Because before I explain why 400 McLean Avenue is such a remarkable place for Christians to gather, like we are this morning, I first want to show you what the Christians who meet at 400 McLean Avenue should see in this passage. And first, it's the scope of God's mission. You cannot read Psalm 67 and miss it. The scope of God's mission in the world extends to all the nations, to all peoples, not all people, but all peoples, people groups, types of people. Just watch where I place the emphasis as I, as I read this psalm again, starting in verse 2. That your way may be known on the earth, your salvation among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you will judge the peoples with uprightness and guide the nations on the earth. Selah. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its produce. God, our God, blesses us. God blesses us that all the ends of the earth may fear him. That's the scope. All the different types of peoples. God's mission in the world is to be exalted and worshipped by people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. quick story. There was a man, a pagan man, who lived in the land of Ur of the Chaldeans. And God called this man to himself. His name was Abram, which God later changed to Abraham. And God gave a promise to Abram in Genesis chapter 12, verse 3. And here's that promise. Abraham in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. So through the seed of Abraham, God will bless the nations, the peoples. There was another man who came from the line of Abraham, and he was a man after God's own heart. He was Israel's greatest king king by the name of David. And now David himself was a descendant of Abraham. And one might wonder, is this the promised seed through whom all the nations would be blessed? David, he's such a great king. 
Well, God spoke to David through the prophet Nathan, and this is what God told him through the prophet Nathan. David, when your days are complete and you lie down with your fathers, in other words, when you die, David, I will raise up your descendant after you who will come forth from you and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. In other words, David can't be the promised seed because David will die. But God does promise that the seed would come through David. So through Abraham comes David and through David will come this seed. And the one who will come will have an everlasting kingdom. This seed of Abraham, the seed of David, this this descendant will set up an everlasting kingdom that blesses the nations. That's the plan. I know one of the most frustrating and difficult parts of Scripture to read, if you're like me, are the genealogies. In this instance, it's important that we don't miss it. You know, Matthew, uh, Matthew, the ex-tax collector, disciple of Jesus, he writes his gospel narrative to Jews. And it's the perfect transition from the Old Testament to the New Testament. It comes first in our New Testament. And when you read the final book of the Old Testament, Malachi, you end with no resolution. Who's the promise? How are the nations going to be blessed? Malachi ends, and there's 400 years of silence. Turn the page. Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. The record of the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. What's the point? The point in the very first verse that Matthew is making in the New Testament is that the promised seed that would bless the nations is here. The one through whom all the nations will be blessed has come, and his name is Jesus. And Jesus himself made this mission, the scope of this mission clear. In John chapter 10, he said, I have other sheep, not of this fold, meaning not of the house of Israel, but other sheep. They're part of the peoples out there in the world, the Gentiles. He says, I must bring them also, and they will hear my voice, and they will become one flock with one shepherd. Next chapter, in John chapter 11, the high priest Caiaphas prophesied that Jesus would die, not only for Israel, but this is what he says, but that he might also gather into one the children of God who were scattered abroad. You see that. There are people who Jesus wants to save, and they are scattered abroad. They're not a part of the fold of Israel. They're a part of the peoples of the earth, the nations, the families. They will hear Jesus' voice, and they will become one flock under one shepherd. And that makes us ask the question, how are they going to be one? How is this going to work? Jesus now has gone to sit at the right hand of the Father. 
That's why Jesus prayed in John 17. I do not ask for these alone, talking about his disciples there living with him. He said, but for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one. In other words, Jesus prays that his sheep will become one when they hear the gospel preached by his sheep. The children of God scattered abroad, coming together under the great shepherd through the proclamation of the gospel. That's the plan. That's why Jesus says, go make disciples of all nations. The word there in the Greek, ethnos. That's why he says in Acts 1.8 that you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you to be my witnesses in Jerusalem only. No, but in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And this mission will be accomplished because John tells us in Revelation 7.9, he gives us a little glimpse of what heaven is like. He says there's a multitude of people worshiping Jesus. And this is what he says about that multitude. After these things, I looked and behold a great multitude, which no one could count from every nation and all tribes and peoples and tongues standing before the throne and before the lamb. God's mission in the world from start to finish is to be praised by all the peoples of the earth. And that mission should fuel ours. I'm convinced we have no right to call it missions unless we are motivated by God's mission. One of the great cries of many of our hearts, I know, is that more and more and more people would be saved. Go to a place, reach them with the gospel, and then more and more and more people get saved from that group. And I do believe that that is something we want. We want more and more people to come to faith in Christ. That's not a bad goal to have. But we should also understand this goal as well. We should certainly want to see multitudes come to faith in Christ because there will be a multitude in heaven. But when John describes the multitude, it's a multitude made up from every tribe, tongue, and nation. Not purely a multitude of people with our culture, our heritage, our heritage, our language, our skin tone. The mission of God is not purely mass quantities of the same kinds of people. It's mass quantities of different peoples. The emphasis in the Bible is not so much on how many people get saved as it is on how many peoples, how how some from many peoples are getting saved. In fact, as our psalm says, it's not just some peoples from, it's not just some people, some nations, it's all peoples, all nations, all the tribes, all the tongues. In heaven, there'll be a representative in some way, shape, form, or fashion from every tribe, tongue, and nation worshiping God. God's plan. I joke with our church often that if you walked into a church building, and let's just say there were 50 of us in here, and you walked in and we were all wearing circular glasses, and we had big, massive beards like me, everybody in the room had that, you, you might suspect that it's a cult. <laughs> like maybe this is, maybe you walked into the wrong meeting, because you certainly don't belong here. If you don't have round glasses and a big red beard like mine. You certainly would be convinced that what unites us is our red beardness. I love whenever there's similarities between people. That's wonderful. But having a church of red beard says absolutely nothing about the greatness of God in uniting us. It exalts our natural unity, not our spiritual unity. 
It shows the world that Jesus is good because he unites people who are the same. The world already knows how to do that. The Bible shows Jesus as good because he unites people who are different. Jesus is bringing people together, scattered abroad, to be one flock under one shepherd. And that should be our goal. To strive after a unity that's true to God's mission in the world. A unity that can only be explained by Jesus. Not our socioeconomic class. Not our skin tone. By Jesus. This is the scope of God's mission in the world. And as we've seen, it's the focal point of the whole Bible from start to finish. All the nations being blessed through Jesus. And this psalm is simply a song and a cry and a prayer for that reality to come true. Now, next, us Christians who gather at 400 McLean Avenue need to see something else. Not only the scope of God's mission in the world, but the motivation of missions. I saw that Darlene put an excerpt in um, the bulletin this morning, and it's wonderful. This would be a great summary to read later. On this point, the motivation of missions. Why do we do missions? Now, I want to get rid of, at at the forefront, all sorts of harmful and prideful motives, because I assume you already know that a desire to make a name for oneself is an improper motive for evangelism and world missions. Proclaiming the name of God for our name's sake is foolish. Unfortunately, we do see it so often. People who might be more captivated by going down in history than hearing, well done, good and faithful servant. And if this is you, I just want to encourage you to kill those desires at the root now. I love what Martin Luther once said. He said that his aim was to be glorified by God through his life. But if God found him unworthy for the task, may he still be glorified by someone else. Paul Washer says a biblical prayer is this. God, if you see fit to glorify yourself through the prospering of me and my church, so be it. But God, if you see fit to glorify yourself by not prospering me and my church, so be it. So long as you are glorified. There's no room for self in God's mission. Not to mention, the greatest men and women of the faith that have gone down in history have often been the greatest sufferers. And a desire for self is hardly ever a sufficient basis for being willing to suffer. But in the realm of pure motives, pure motivations for missions, there are two that people often claim. One, worship of God. Two, love for people. And we see both mentioned in this text. I do believe one is greater than the other. I want to convince you that the main motivation for missions is worship. Now I'll read our text again, and this time I'll emphasize a different part of the sentence. That your way may be known on the earth, your salvation among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you will judge the peoples with uprightness and guide the nations on the earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. 
The earth has yielded its produce. God, our God, blesses us. God blesses us that all the ends of the earth may fear him. John Piper's book, Let the Nations Be Glad, he starts by saying this. Missions exists because worship does not. And his point in saying this is that worship is the fuel for our missions. Praise of God is the motivation for missions. Because one day, he says, in the new heavens and the new earth, worship will continue, but missions will be no more. Missions is a temporary necessity. Worship is eternal. When the psalmist cries out to God in this psalm, he's basing his cries on the desire for God to be what? Praised. He does pray for the people to know God's salvation. But his prayer is not save them, O God. The prayer is let them praise you, O God. His desire is not primarily just that people get saved, but that God gets worshipped. God is our creator, and as such, he is deserving of all the praise, all the worship from everyone. And so whenever you look at someone who is not a Christian, the saddest thing about them is not just this fact that they're unsaved, but what the saddest thing is what that means. What that means is that their heart does not delight in God. Their heart does not worship God. Friends, our fundamental problem is that we've exchanged the glory of God for a lie. We've tasted and loved the creature rather than the creator. We leave the fountain of living waters for broken cisterns that can hold no water. We hate the light and love the darkness. But when God saves someone, he gives them a new heart that does what? That sells everything to buy the field because they know that there's a treasure in that field. And everyone looks at them like they're crazy. You just sold your house and gave away your inheritance and everything for a field. Yeah, but I know there's a treasure in that field. When God saves someone, he gives them hearts to count all things as lost compared to the worth of knowing Jesus. They're given hearts to deny themselves daily and to follow Christ. Just think about it. As Jesus approached the woman at the well, he said that God was seeking true worshipers who will worship him in spirit and truth. So, friends, when he saves a sinner, he does more than just change their final destination from hell to heaven. He makes an eternal worshiper of God out of them. you want to see more worshipers of God? How zealous are you for God being worshipped? And how might your evangelistic endeavors and missionary efforts change if God being worshipped were the main goal? If you were, made of, if you were motivated by a passion for God to be worshipped in hearts that currently do not worship beautiful is that this desire for God to be worshipped is not at odds with your desire to see people you love happy. They're not at odds with one another. Just think about verses 3 and 4. And as I read this, just think about how these two verses might be connected and how they really work together. Verse 3 says, let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Verse 4, let the nations be glad. 
sing for joy. What's the connection between praise for God and gladness? How is it that those who are praising God are singing for joy? You have to ask yourself the question. When the psalmist prays for the nations to praise God and for the nations to be glad, are these two separate requests or are they one and the same? Is the psalmist praying for a joy and gladness that's separate from worship? Is he praying for a joyless and unhappy and empty worship? Just praise by duty. Just praise God just because you have to, but then also be glad about other stuff. Is that what he's praying for? Or is he praying for the nations to find their joy and their gladness in God, therefore they worship him? You see in the gospel, people are given a new song to sing. They're given a new joy to have, a gladness of heart. They aren't praising God out of indifference. They aren't worshiping God just because they have to and it's a duty. They're really glad. They have a song of joy in their hearts because now they have God himself. Our joy and happiness and gladness can never be full until it is in God. And God is never more praised and worshipped in us than when we find our joy in him instead of other things. And so my prayer that you have a passion for worship of God and for joy of all peoples, not at odds with one another. In missions, sharing the gospel with a neighbor or some tribe that's on a secluded island somewhere that's never been reached, the ultimate driving factor is the worship of God, and that is not at odds of your love for people and your desire for their happiness. Because we know it's not until the peoples praise God that they will be glad and have a song of joy. Really love people. I mean, really love them. And you really want them to be happy. Then you know they must find their happiness in God, not in the things of this world. In His presence is fullness of joy. At His right hand are pleasures forevermore. I challenge you to find something better than that. Full joy, pleasures forever. You can't get more than full. You can't get longer than forever. That's what we're offering tonight. So these two motivations, praise for God and love for people are not at all. So let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. You see the connection. I wonder, Christians who meet at 400 McLean Avenue, what it is that motivates your heart for missions and evangelism. Because it's possible that a lack of passion for missions and evangelism may mean a lack of passion for God being worshipped. The neighborhood here is filled with people who do not currently worship our Creator. Instead, they find their joy in the creation. Don't you want to see God worshipped? And don't you want to see their happiness fulfilled? One more thing for us who meet here this morning to briefly consider. And that's the means of God's mission. We've seen the scope. We've seen the motivation. 
now the means. What does God use to complete his work? That's the question. There's at least two things that we can see in this psalm. One is just by example. It's not clearly stated, but it's by example, and you'll see it. And the other is found in the connection between verses 1 and 2. So we'll get there. First, here's the example. This is what God uses to accomplish his mission in the world. God uses prayer. And I say that this is implied in the psalm because the psalm is a prayer. It's not telling you to actually pray this, but the psalmist, by way of example, is praying this. The psalmist is praying for the nations to praise God. I think about when Jesus was with his disciples and they looked at the field. Jesus was a remarkable teacher. He would just use the things right there. And he would look at the field and he'd say, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, therefore what, Jesus? What do we do to get more laborers out into the field so the harvest can be harvested? How do we get more evangelists out there? Therefore what? Start a program. Start a class. Read a book. Pass out sign-up sheets. What do we do? The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. Jesus' answer is, pray. And what's interesting is that in the very next verse, Jesus sends his disciples out on a mission trip. So sometimes we'll see that we are the very answer to our prayers. But we know that we can't personally reach all the peoples and tribes and nations by ourselves on the earth. That doesn't mean that we can't do anything to affect change. you really believe that if you cry out to God to send laborers into the remotest parts of the world, that he'll do it? And if he won't, then why else did Jesus say to do? So when's the last time you prayed, God, let the peoples, let the nations praise you? It's his mission. You have his ear. The Bible says you do not have because you do not ask. second way that we see to accomplish this mission in this text at least is what I think to be the main point of the whole psalm and it's found in the connection between verse 1 and verse 2 the connecting word is that beginning of verse 2 which functions like a so that you all know how we use the word so that I pray this would happen so that this could happen. So here's verses 1 and 2. God be gracious to us and bless us and cause his face to shine upon us that your way may be known on the earth, your salvation among all nations. You see the logic. The psalmist makes a request and then says why he's making the request. God, please do A so that B would happen. Be gracious to us and bless us and have your your face shine upon us. Bless us, God. Bless us. And why am I asking for you, God, to bless us so that your way and your salvation may be known among the nations? 
Jesus has massive implications for our lives. First, when he prays for God to bless him so that the nations would be blessed, it may be that our prayers are more likely to be answered, our ministries more likely to grow, our churches more likely to thrive, our lives more likely to be blessed when we ask God to do so for the sake of the nations. It's one thing to say, bless me, God, so I can get a house and a car and an early retirement and a nice vacation and a comfortable life. It's another thing to say, please bless me, O God, so that I can be a blessing to the nations and they may come to praise you. way do you often find yourself thinking and praying and operating? The other thing is that the principle is clear in verses 1 and 2. That God blesses us so that we may be a blessing to the nations. That's why he does it. One of the great means of God accomplishing his mission in the world is by blessing his people so that they may bless the people's. My dear friends, if this is true, then we now all know why we have everything we have. Our intellect, our skills, our education, our job, our money, our church, our home, etc. We have been blessed ultimately to be a blessing to the nations so that the peoples would praise God. Just think of it this way. You've been given many blessings and gifts. Not so that you can make your gifts your God, but so you can use your gifts for the nations, for the nations to see who your God really is. And maybe, just maybe, they'll join you in praising Him. I just want to close by considering a couple of ways. Before I do that, I was told a story the other day about a missionary in India who's had to return to the United States because of COVID-19. Over there, they have to renew their visa every six months, and foreigners are not allowed to renew their visa right now, so he's come back home to stay with the sending church. And he told a story about a convert in India. We're talking about being blessed, blessed nations, how we can make it known to the world that our things are not our God, but God is. This man denied a multi-million dollar job in his corporation in India who had just gotten saved so that he could go and be a little missionary to this little village out in the rural parts of India. Do you think those people in that village might know that his money is not his God, but that God is? Not only is he going and bringing the gospel, but he's saying Jesus truly is better than these other people. His life shows it. So, how has God blessed us in unique ways to be a blessing to the nations? We'll close with this. Number one, God's blessed us with faith in his son to be a blessing to the nations. The believers here know that Jesus Christ is the one who died the death that we should have died and rose again on our behalf. And we know that we cannot praise and worship God apart from faith in Christ. And so, We have that faith and we can really go to the peoples and say God has given his son Jesus so that all who place their faith in Jesus 
No matter where they're from, no matter what they look like, no matter what language they speak, they will be saved. We've been blessed with faith in his son for the nations. Number two, God has blessed us with one another. And by one another, I I do mean our two churches. I've told this story to our members uh, several times, and I've shared it with some of yours in, in passing. Some of you may know it. When we started meeting as a church, uh, and we were looking for a place to meet and gather, we began by meeting under a picnic table, I mean, a a picnic shelter in Washington Park up the street. And we sent out maybe 25 or 26 emails to 25 or 26 churches. And uh, six churches responded all together. The first four were Moravian churches. And come to find out, it just wasn't going to work. One church was just in a just a different part of the city from where we had kind of been. And last but certainly not least, you all reached back out to us. And we knew that Conoch's in the same association. We're both Baptist churches. And so when we talked it over, our our folks were most excited because we saw this as a, a wonderful way to be mutually encouraged by one another. And what a great way to be a witness to the world around us by two churches working together for the kingdom in some way, shape, form, or fashion. And so that excited us. And since we started meeting together, doing regular joint services, talking with a few folks after the services, having meals, and we were able to do those in the fellowship hall, um, it just has become clear that this is a a wonderful friendship. And I know that our members love Conoke Baptist Church. They deeply care about you. They constantly ask, how can we get to know one another more? And one of the biggest frustrations, I think, with COVID-19 is we're not able to go out to lunch afterwards or do certain things that we normally would. And so it kind of halts that. I, I say all that to say this, is that we consider this relationship, this friendship, to be a wonderful blessing from God. And what a privilege it would be if God would use our mutual friendship for the sake of the nation. Number three. God's blessed us with access to much faithful gospel preaching and teaching. At the click of a button, you can read a theologically rich book on your phone. You can listen to a sermon from a faithful preacher and so on. Just the sheer magnitude of solid Christ-exalting material in print in the English language is stunning. I just thought about it the other day. You have the Puritans, or you have John Owen, John Bunyan, John Flavel, Jonathan Edwards, a lot of Johns during that time, apparently. Richard Sibbs, Charles Spurgeon, Thomas Watson, J.C. Ryle, J.I. Packer, Thomas Manton, Jeremiah Burroughs, all writing in the 1500s, 1600s, all the way to modern day people, all wonderful preachers and teachers of the word, writing with pastoral flair and publishing their work in English. In English. We have access to all this great stuff that can be used to help us preach and teach to parts of the globe that still don't even have a Bible translation in their language yet. Which, if you're interested, there's around 2,200 languages in the world that do not have a Bible in their translation. Surely God has blessed us who speak this English language to be a blessing to more than just English speakers. Lastly, friends, God has blessed us with 400 McLean Avenue, Winston-Salem, North Carolina, as we started out with. What I mean by that is not necessarily the structure of this property, but 
the location of this property. God's mission is that all people would be blessed through the gospel. And I'm saying that this location right here is prime location for that cause, for the nations being blessed. If you do a little demographic report, a one-mile radius around this church, you'll find that this part of the city is uniquely diverse. I believe in the triad there's some over 100 different people groups, around half of which in their homeland, they are unreached with the gospel. And they're not only there, they're here. In the triad. The peoples, the nations are in our backyard. And like I said, a quick demographic report centered around this property finds a uniquely diverse community compared to the rest of our city. What does that mean? Why do I say that should give you all hope? means that we can pray the prayer of Psalm 67. Bless us. Keep your face shine upon us and have a real tangible way of blessing the nations right here in this neighborhood. What I hope we see is that changing demographics and altering communities don't present us with hindrances and roadblocks, but with kingdom minds. They present us with opportunities to be engaged in God's mission in the world. Might that be what God is doing right here, right now? Friends, I believe you can pray, verse 1, for God to be gracious to us, to bless us, to make his face shine upon us, because I believe that in blessing the saints that meet at 400 McLean Avenue like yourself, we'll be able to bless the nations abroad and right here in our own backyard. I pray it begins by God working in us today to give us a passion to bless the nations for the praise of our God and the joy of all peoples. Father, we thank you for this morning. We ask that you would do in our heart what we can't do ourselves. Give us a passion for you to be worshipped and a passion for all the peoples to be glad in you. In Jesus' name we pray.